electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Stocks on the edge. Fed fears, China, COVID, all weighing on your money. Are the lows in jeopardy? The big question. We'll discuss and debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Bryn Talkington, Steve Weiss, Jim Labenthal, Joe Terranova also with us, Anastasia Amoroso, the Chief Investment Strategist with iCapital. Check the market, 12 noon at the east, red across the board. Dow's down more than 400. That's one and a quarter percent. S&P off one and a half, 63 points. NASDAQ, not so much. It's down 100 points, not as bad as the others. Rates easing off a little bit. That's probably having something to do with it. 276, the yield on the 10-year. Farmer Jim, we're coming off the worst day in like 18 months. I keep waiting for you to show up and tell me, you know what, Judge, I was wrong. I was way too positive, and the signs are that there aren't many reasons to be positive. Are you showing up today to tell me that, or is it the same story, Jim? Which is, that's your story. You're sticking to it. Yeah, well, that was a that was a compound statement with many clauses, Thank part you. of which were right. But I'll throw you a bone here. Yeah, I made a mistake, and the mistake was Whoa. I was too early. Okay, and what has been missing from the last month, month and a half of trading is there has been no capitulation. But what I submit to you is number one, I'm not going to worry about being early. But the bigger issue is you're down seven percent in two and a half trading days. Seven percent. Now I look at the market where it is right now. I look at 2023 earnings, $250 estimated right now. You're at 16.8 times those earnings. You're down seven percent in two and a half trading days. This feels a lot like capitulation to me. Where my mistake was was not waiting for capitulation. That said, I feel very good. You said there's nothing really positive to sink your teeth into. I think you're missing where earnings are. And that's an easy thing to mistake because you can focus on Netflix or you can focus on IBM, which, by the way, now has a higher market cap than Netflix. Or you can focus on the airlines or you can focus on TSA traveler counts and revenue per available room rate at hotels. The economy is in great shape. And I'm tired of people saying, yeah, but where is it going? Because I've been hearing that for three months. It's in great shape. It shows no shine of cracking. And that means earnings, which are coming in better than expected, are likely to continue to do so. The effect of the Fed is painful. But how much more aggressive can they get? If you're negative this market because you think the Fed's going to get more aggressive, that's a pretty tough call to make. Very much so. I mean, look, uh, I did not expect you to show up today and say I made a mistake. I didn't. Not that you're not a contrite person and not that you no, wouldn't. No, look, it is what it is. Not that you wouldn't be. It's staring be... me in the face, right? The, the market's at 4208, the S&P 500. You asked, are the lows in play? Well, we're 2% off of those intraday lows, so by definition they are. But I'm not selling a darn stock here. I see the results coming in, and this is what gives me comfort. I don't care if it's Cliffs, Dow's, Alaska Airlines. These results for the companies I own are fabulous, and their guidance is fabulous. Yeah. I wouldn't sell a stock that I own. I mean, I, and I don't want to make a big joke about this either, because, I mean, real people's money is, is on the line. 
So save the bad jokes looking at the upper right-hand square, just saying. Bryn, uh, I was too early is what Jim said. The question is, I knew you'd like that, Weiss, is how too early, right? How early? Is now safe to, to buy stocks in the market or not? Are we going much lower? Well, it depends what stocks you're buying. And I think that everyone's going to come out today and say, and over the next couple of weeks, that earnings are going to be strong. I think earnings will be strong. But what we don't know is what will the market pay for those earnings? And when Powell came out last week and really echoed that 50 basis points is in the cards, I think the market just does not understand when they are going to stop raising rates. And you have to go back, Scott, and understand that we have 1.8 jobs available for every one person that wants one. The Fed is squarely looking at that statistic. And as long as the economy stays that strong, the Fed will continue to stay hawkish. Now, uh, now to your question about are we at a bottom? I think we're getting really close to a tradable bottom. We're right, right on the heels of where we were February 24th. And so as a, as, a, as a trade, I think we're getting close. But I think it's just a trade because the Fed, once again, if you go back to 1913, the beginning of the Fed, they have only engineered a soft landing around 10% of the time. And Scott, those 10% of the times they engineered a soft landing, you did not have debt to GDP at 125%, and you did not have the Fed's balance sheet at $9 trillion. And so I just think we have a set of cards that investors just need to be cautious and be patient. And, you know, equities will be equities will do better in inflation than being in cash. But that doesn't mean that's going to be a fun ride while we're in this point of the Fed, you know, raising rates quite aggressively and also trying to reduce that balance sheet. Right. Weiss, I mean, we're about 100 points above the February 24th low in the in the S&P. Uh, the Nasdaq low was 12,555. So, you know, we're not that far above uh, any of those levels. Weiss. Uh, so, look. The big debate is to whether we're going to take those lows out, whether we've got a lot more pain ahead. ahead. Bryn laid it out, I think, perfectly where the landscape currently sits. And, I mean, Jim did, if you, if you take him at, at his view that, yeah, well, of course, earnings have been good. It's not really a matter of where they are now, right? And then that's just a fact. Uh, Weiss, how do you see it, right? Earnings are good now. The Fed's going to be super aggressive now and later. And let me throw this out. What happens if the Fed goes 50 in May? I mean, we think that's pretty much set in stone, right? 75 has been tossed, right. tossed out and then, then pushed aside. What happens if it's 50, right, in June and people, are, I mean, in May, and fi people think 50 in June? What if, what if there's an intermeeting uh, move of 50? And that accomplishes kind of your 75 and then maybe 75, but you do 50 again between the two meetings. How would the market react if that happened? I think they'd react negatively, as they did when Powell came out and said, basically said, we're going to do 15 May. And look, I mean, this puts this puts to bed the issue of that the Fed tightening was in the market, as was part of, and not to pick on Jim's dialogue, tell me something that's not in the market when it was positive. Well, it wasn't in the market. And the proof is how the market reacted. Now, let's talk about earnings. Jim can be tired of the dialogue that earnings aren't going to be good and that it's 250 that we're seeing next year. But the fact is, earnings aren't going to be good as we go forward because the Fed hasn't even tightened 50 yet. 
And they will. And that will hit earnings. And analysts and economists or strategists are notorious for not baking in their earnings forecast what hasn't yet occurred, which is the tightening. So earnings always come in better. Even in the worst of times, earnings always come in better. But it's a question of what the percentage beats are in terms of how many companies beat. And then you've got to look at guidance. So I think we do take out the lows. I believe that we will. I still believe that we have an overshot. So 16 and a half times an illusory number that we're using now for 2023 is just not going to support the market. And things got decidedly worse over the weekend. You had iron ore drop 10 percent overnight. Why? Because China is slowing down. The world's largest or second largest economy is now almost in a freeze. So there's only so much the Fed can do. So as I said on Friday, they got to hit inflation as hard as they ever hit it. Bryn made excellent points. So I do think that the that the odds are that we do go into a recession. And I just don't think you have to rush in and buy stocks. I still think it's risk management time. And I would sell any rallies that happened. And I do think we're getting close. As a matter of fact, you can, you can show some surprise. You alluded to it in your introduction that we have the 10-year selling off meaningfully today. And the market sort of tried to move up. It touched green a little bit in NASDAQ for a brief moment. So we're near a tradable bottom. But, man, you've got to be so precise and so skilled to trade it. I'd rather be on the sidelines. Okay. Anastasia. I need to hear from you, and then I need to hear from Joe, and then I need to go back to Jim because I'm looking at something that's not going to make him happy. But nonetheless, Anastasia, where do you come down? You've heard the comments. You've seen the markets. What do you think? Yeah, I think this conversation of the tradable bottom, I think, is spot on. Uh, we have pulled back a lot in a short period of time. And the problem with tradable rallies right now, however, they might be measured in days or in the matter of weeks. It's not going to be months. And so what we have, the setup that we have for this week is we have the Fed that is in the blackout period before the FOMC meeting next week. So this might actually be a positive for the markets. At the same time, we do have an important week of earnings, a huge week of earnings. But that also means that some of the corporations are going to report earnings and be out of their blackout windows. So they might be able to step into the market and support these stocks. So that kind of argues, and by the way, the sentiment is terrible. So that kind of argues to me that maybe we are poised for a tradable bottom. But the problem is you take a step back and I have a lot of question marks about a consumer-led slowdown and what this means for earnings. And by the way, not just the cyclical stocks that are pulling back, but actually what this means for earnings of the big tech companies as well. I mean, if you look at the commentary that was out of the out on the weekend previewing earnings for a lot of the big tech names, they're not all that positive. They're talking about slowing down in advertising spending. They're talking about a challenging smartphone market backdrop and a number of other sectors that are decelerating, even in the big tech. So it might just not be all that immune. So I think that's a big question mark for this week. Depending on how these big tech earnings shake out, that will determine whether this bottom holds here in the meantime or not. All right. So, Joe, Mike Wilson, Morgan Stanley says it's harder to hide as the bear gets grizzly. Lori Calvacina, RBC, cuts the year-end S&P target. Still looking for modest gains, but nonetheless, she takes a target from 50-50 to 48-60. Jonathan Krinsky suggests that the leaders are finally succumbing, and that suggests you're in the later innings of the correction, but still looking for sub-4,000 on the S&P. You see where we are 
today. We're at 42.29 as I read that number to you. It's a loss of 1% today. What do you think? So you go back to the February 24th low, and that takes you exactly down 14.6% for the S&P 500. I have bad news for the bears, and I have bad news for the bulls. The bad news for the bears, you go down, you test that low, you break below it, can totally happen. I'm on board with that. I don't think you're going to get another 5 to 10% from there. You're not going to go down 20 25%. The evidence doesn't suggest that. Bad news for the bulls. You know I rely on statistics. I told you at the beginning of this month, if you go back and study presidential cycles, this is the worst quarter right now, April 1st through June 30th. In addition to that, over the weekend, I have every correction in my hand since 1966. I did a study for Virtus Investment Partners. Time is the enemy right now of the market. And 2022 is tracing out from a price patterning perspective the same as 2016. Guess what that means? That means you need to get through the May Federal Reserve meeting and the June Federal Reserve meeting. And finally, when you get to the end of June, you've got the potential for the market to appreciate from that point. Until then, it's all about mitigating risk. It's all about not losing a lot of money. And it's all about the market going to a lot of different places and ending up in the same spot. I mean, I'm looking at Jim. I, saw, I told you I was going to read something that was going to make you unhappy. It's Cleveland Cliffs is down another 9%, right? So we, we've got China to worry about, slow down there. We've got lockdowns there. Who knows what direction those are, are going to take. You've got slowdown fears everywhere, which is why you have a flight to safety today and why yields are falling and about the only thing that looks like it's doing anything positive today is the arc. Is they're getting on the arc because that's up about 2% with rates coming down. Scott, you, you, I, do you think I expect you to say something positive to me? I mean, if there um, was something no, positive to say, I would certainly say it. It's not like I'm uh, well, oh, good, predis- let me help predisposed you. to find something God, you know, only I'm negative here. to say to you. I am here to be a ray of sunshine in your life. Let's talk about Cleveland okay. Cliffs. Last okay? time, but you just Let's told me that Cleveland the sun Cliffs. came out too soon in your neighborhood. One business day ago, <laughs> Cleveland Cliffs announced, guided for this year, that they're going to have record free cash flow. Okay? Their EBITDA in the trailing 12 months was $6 billion. Their market cap right now is $13 billion. They have a $1 billion share buyback in place. They will increase that if they need to and want to. The management there is incredibly nimble and thoughtful about the right price for their shares. But the point that I'm driving at, and you brought up Cleveland Cliffs, so that's why I'm using it as an example, but it's for the market as a whole, is cash flow is what's going to matter. I have no sympathy for technology shares that were overpriced getting brought low. That is fanboy stocks that nobody did their homework on. When you do your homework on a stock and you get free cash flow that approaches 50% of the market cap, that is what you're supposed to pay attention to and buy. I can't worry about one day's return. This is, a, this is a stock that if you look at its chart over the last year and a half, two years, it has very pronounced up and down cycles. They're short, they're harsh, but the overall upward trend is clear. And with the results from Friday, one business day ago, those trends should continue to the upside. I'm not worried about it at all. Okay, so let's begin our conversation on what's really riding on this week. And I do that, I want to start out with Bryn on that, right? Apple, Google, Microsoft, Amazon, it all kicks off tomorrow and it's going to be a barn burner. And I just wonder, Bryn, how nervous investors should be 
that if you're still waiting for that capitulation, if, if that's what you want to call it, and you don't think it's come yet, that Friday wasn't enough to declare that it was it, whether you're worried that that is the catalyst, if those reports aren't good enough, because those have been so critical and maybe even more so now. I think Apple's really important because Apple gives you a lens into the most intricate supply chain, I think, in the world, right? So going from China to the U.S., to, to the rest of the globe. So we're gonna get a lens into that. We're also gonna go, get a lens into the global consumer. I mean, in the US, like the AT&Ts, the Verizons, the T-Mobiles, they subsidize those $1,000 iPhones. So no one in the US is paying $1,000 if you go to one of those vendors. Globally, you are though. And so I don't think any of those, any of the reports this week are gonna be a Netflix or a Facebook where you get really big surprises. I think it's gonna be their guidance and the sentiment around how they trade will set the tone for the fall for, for for the growth stocks at least for the following week. But I don't think there's going to be big surprises. Google has so much cash, Microsoft, Apple, they are just in different positions than Facebook and Netflix. Those were two idiosyncratic, you know, issues with those companies. And so I, I'm not worried about the return or lack of earnings with those companies and the effect it's going to have this week on the market. Well, I mean, Netflix wasn't um I, I mean, it wasn't just a surprise. I mean, that was a blow up, right? I don't think. Well, yeah, that, I mean, they had a hundred million yeah. pirate. I mean, like they but have a I Netflix but, issue, but, but my, right? hundred. Yeah. Yeah. But my point is, Weiss, that I don't necessarily think you need a Netflix like shocker for those stocks to go to go down. If they simply I'm not suggesting they're even going to miss. But if the because they rarely do. But if the beats don't look good enough. Right. And that's been kind of the story this this earning season, as decent as the earnings. There's like a disconnect. It's the earnings. If you want to focus on the earnings and say, OK, yeah, earnings have been good. I'll give you that. But then if you partner up the stock moves with the good earnings, I'm going to say, well, therein lies the problem, because there are companies that reported really good earnings and their stocks went in the opposite direction. That's why I bring up Apple, Microsoft and those other names, because the numbers could still be good. And the stocks can go in the opposite direction. The market can ill afford the stocks to go in the wrong direction, Weiss. I agree with you. And so I'm hedged, not completely, but mostly hedged with either selling calls or buying puts on Microsoft, on Apple, on Amazon. I haven't done anything on, on, on Google, Google yet. Don't know that I will. Um, so, look, there are some times in the market where earnings matter quite a bit, and there are some times when they don't, uh, and sometimes when they matter a little. Frankly, I think over the last few years, with money being so easy, I'm not sure earnings or fundamentals, for that matter, mattered all that much. They mattered directionally, but the focus was not on the earnings, which is why, despite Apple having Basically, you know, a couple of years of flat earnings and flat revenues, the stock still traded to almost all-time high multiple. So now you're going to have the reverse. So now these stocks, as you point out, where you've had good earnings, Cleveland Cliffs, a primary example. Like American Stella Express, Quarter, right? Guide, AXP, stocks down. I could go down yep, the list. I mean, there are a lot of them. Yep. Right. So 
So God forbid they miss, it's look out below, but the market's already come for those stocks. So the die is cash. The market's not holding their breath, hoping for great earnings to bail them out. They're going to sell on the earnings. You might see a short-term pop, but the overall macro, the overall fear, mm -hmm. and the bear market that we're in is going to control the direction. That's right. it. And the pricing umbrella, the valuation umbrella, that's gone. So now they've got to reset. Okay, so let's do this. Let's take a quick break. We'll continue the conversation on, on the other side because 50, off 52-week highs, comm services off tw almost 29% off the 52-week highs. Technology was in a bear market earlier today. It's, that's where it's trending. It was down right now 19.5%-ish from its 52-week highs. So there's a lot riding on it. We'll continue to kick that around when we come back. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, we're back. I just want to touch on the market for you. The uh, Dow has come off of the lows of when we started. It's down 254. S&P is uh, down by 1% still. NASDAQ's trying to get a little bit better. And there's the 10-year note yield. I should let you know that Marco Kalanovic, J.P. Morgan, uh, here he comes again. It's uh, 12 noon, which means he's publishing something. And he says, quote, we see risk skewed toward a near-term equity rally. Given weak investor sentiment, low positioning, systematic strategy buying, seasonality, and oversold conditions. So Anastasia, he's weighing in, is uh, Marco Kalanovic says, you get a near-term equity rally, at least from a positioning standpoint. What are your thoughts? Look, I think we're looking at the same set of indicators, a lot, and many of us are, and that's right, positioning is quite low, and nobody's been really buying the dip here over the last several weeks. So I think there is room to add to risk. Um, I, I think that's right, seasonality. He might be referring to some of the buybacks coming back as we wind down the earnings season. And by the way, we have record buyback authorizations. And given how much the equity markets have pulled back, you could actually step those up. So I, I definitely do subscribe with that. The, the word of caution that I would have here is, you know, what is this buy the dip for? What is the time horizon? Is it days? Is it weeks? Because I really don't think it's much longer than that. So. Um, 
I, I think that might be a part of the strategy for some of the very tactical investors, but I really kind of share the opinion of a lot of the members of this committee, which is now is the time to de-risk the overall portfolio. And maybe if you do that, if you de-risk your overall portfolio allocation, then yes, maybe you can put some some of those short-term tactical trades on. But I think now is the time to focus on getting yield, getting paid while you wait, getting some downside buffers. But given that we are at 4,200, kind of the low of the trading range that we've been, you know, maybe sometime, you know, you put on those trades, but really don't get too comfortable in them. Joe, I mean, look, maybe this week, instead of thinking that mega caps are going to be the thing that break the market, maybe they're going to be the thing that saves it. Right. I mean, let's listen for Google's commentary on digital advertising. Let's see what Apple and Microsoft and, and Amazon ac actually deliver. Maybe that's the stabilizing catalyst that we need to see to feel better about the overall market. Maybe that's one of the things that helps the market achieve what Marco Kalanovic is saying. And by the way, somebody who I really respect, uh, a, a money manager who I really respect, just sent me a, a text I want to read to you because I think it's interesting. Um, and it's about the technicals in the market. Yet the 200-week moving average, right, the 200-week moving average is 34.62 on the S&P 500. That if we, if we go there, we'll still be 58% higher than the March 2020 low. December 18, 2018 was the last time they started QT. Market went to the 200-week moving average. It went to the 200-week moving average in 15 and in 2011. So... Look, that's considerably lower than where we are today. So you've got the technicals working against some saying a bounce is coming against these big earnings, Joe. Yeah, and, and I'm trying to read Marco's notice as, as you're as you're speaking, and he's talking about a bounce consistent to what history would suggest in the month of April. A third of the S&P 500 is going to report this week. And yes, the contribution from, you know, a third of the S&P 500 reporting in particular, a lot of the mega caps, without question, that can lift stocks. But I think if you are right now trying to, su to subscribe to the premise that the lows are not going to be taken out and that we are going to get a recovery, I think the best thing that you would see about today is that risk, wherever risk might be, is being neutralized. Risk is even being neutralized in places like the ARC Fund where you're actually seeing a lot of positioning that was short against innovation that's being unwound. It works both ways. It's not just the long equity positions that, be, that are being reduced. It's also positions that are short in the market. So people collaboratively look at the mosaic of, of the capital market structure and say, okay, let's take down our risk, even in taxable fixed income investment grade, which is really one of the worst performers in fixed income, it's up by almost one and a quarter percent today. So I think that is probably the best position is that positioning itself is neutralizing risk. And that clears a path for markets ultimately if they are going to recover on positive earnings in the next couple of weeks. But I want to go back to what I said before. I don't think ultimately that means stocks appreciate from there and we recapture the highs. I still think we've got to go through this process right. through the duration of Q2. I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, these numbers that are going to come out um, during overtime. And I'm thinking about Josh saying, you know, Apple's got to hold 150 post earnings. It's not that far above that level. And that Microsoft's number is 275. So put those in your back pocket and 
and see what happens later in the week. When we come back, it's ETF Edge, the hunt for yield. And before the break, I want to show you the S&P sector heat map. So Com Services, I said, we're, we're down substantially off their 52-week high. They've gone positive. And the S&P is trying to work his way back to the flat line. It's uh, substantially off the lows in which we began this show on. We're back right after this. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome to the ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. I'm Bob Pisani. It was the number one topic at the recent ETF conference, what to do with client bond funds in the face of rapidly rising rates. Bond King Jeff Gunlock told the 2,000 participants in attendance that he's recommending a mix of commodities, cash, and long-term treasury bonds. But our next guest has had some success with alternatives to that. John Mayer is chief investment officer of GlobalX ETFs. Besides ETFs, GlobalX also runs model portfolios. John, you say you can create an income-focused equity portfolio to replace all these bonds that Gunlock and others are worried about. Describe what's in the portfolio. Thanks, Bob. We've created a portfolio that consists of quality dividends, MLPs, preferreds, and other high-yielding instruments. This portfolio successfully provides about a 4.5% yield, and it's in some areas protects you against rising rates. For example, MLPs benefits from rising rates, provides a high income, and actually benefits from the movement in energy markets. So as energy moves up, the price of the MLPs move up as well. So by, by adding several sectors together, you have a bond proxy type portfolio, but it doesn't move with, with interest rates. Which now, if, everything, if, if we really go to a serious slowdown economically or even close to a recession, everything's going to correlate to one, right? It's all going to essentially move in, in, at one point. Yeah. It's going to coalesce it, 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 way down, everything. So right? it's on a relative basis. Right. So you have covered calls, which trade, trade generally do best in a range-bound market, provides a 12% yield, but you're somewhat cushioned by the downside with respect to the options received from writing options. Yeah. Let me, uh, you have a very interesting position in Twitter because you control the SOCL, which is yeah. the social media ETF. Twitter is 7% of the fund's assets here. What are your thoughts on the recent discussions between Mr. Musk and Twitter? Well, 
in terms of the fund, it's about a 6.7% position. And if the price goes up, it benefits the fund. And if it's taken out, it gets removed from the fund. Social media in general, I think, is the long-term prospects are very good. Uh, uh, near term, they, they you know, have been susceptible to market movements, and as many growth and momentum-oriented stocks have been as well. Yeah, interesting points. Okay, we're going to have a much wider discussion on bond alternatives coming up. ETF Edge at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. John's going to be joined by Todd Rosenbluth. He's the head of research at ETF Trends. We'll be laying out broad bond alternative portfolios that include high dividend yield, covered calls, and a broader discussion on master limited partnerships, preferred stocks, even REITs. That's ETFEdge.CNBC.com. Halftime, back right after this. I'm Frank Collin. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. President Biden is happy that Emmanuel Macron defeated far-right challenger Marine Le Pen to become France's first incumbent president to win re-election in two decades. We feel good about the French election, number one. Number two, I tried to talk to him last night. We spoke with the staff, but he was uh, at the Eiffel Tower having a good time. So I'm going to be talking to him today. Speaking in New Delhi today, European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen predicted that Russia's aggression against Ukraine will be what she called a strategic failure. And this year's charity auction of lunch with Warren Buffett, that'll be the last one. The online bidding will take place over six days in June with an opening bid of $25,000. The most recent winning bid was more than $4.5 million over two decades. More than $34 million have been raised for a San Francisco charity that helps the homeless. No word on why the 91-year-old billionaire is now ending that annual tradition. Scott, back over to you. Hi, Frank Collin, appreciate it very much. Thank you. Courtney Reagan has a market flash on Kohl's and the saga there. Court. Hi there, Scott. Yeah, so the, there is a report here from the New York Post that the owners of JCPenney, which is a joint venture between Simon Property and Brookfield Asset Management, here are possibly interested in bidding for Kohl's. The report suggests that they have offered about 68 dollars a share for Kohl's and look to pull about a billion dollars in costs out of the business, but would continue to operate Kohl's and JCPenney separately. Now, while I haven't confirmed this piece of the report, this does indeed track with what Kohl's management has been telling me. Yes, they did get these inbound offers initially that were not solicited, but since then have been doing their due diligence with the help of Goldman Sachs to also do reach out, to be proactive to see if any other suitors may be interested in the business. They have confirmed that 25 different groups or individuals have been in contact with them about making a bid for the retailer, and they have been given access to over 550,000 pages of documents. Some of them have been meeting with management. Again, though, not confirming exactly who of those possible bidders have gotten access to what or who any of those 25 are. But of course, it tracks that it is likely that one of these could be the owners of JCPenney right now. Shares of Kohl's are higher by more than 4%. Remember, Scott, there is a shareholder meeting on May 11th where they will be voting on the board. And of course, we know that activist McCallum has put up a slate, a full slate for the board. But Kohl's has so far gotten the support of T. Rowe Price for their board. They own about 5%. So a lot of different things going on at Kohl's right now. Yep. Scott. All right. Thank you. That's Courtney Reagan. Uh, with the latest on Kohl's. All right, Bryn, let's talk about some moves that you're making. Um, and uh, Joe is good. Joe, you need to listen up, okay? Bryn, you sold Archer oh. Daniels. Tell me why. Let's do that one first. 
Sure, so I, I was late to this trade. Remember, I bought it at 85. I didn't buy the stock. I bought the 85s in the money calls. And so when it ran up to 96 last week, the options were up close to 90%. So I just took profit. If you look at a chart, it was just overextended. It's now under 90, I think it's around 89. So I'll be looking to see in this in that type of energy ag sell-off, if I get another opportunity to step back in, in the mid 80s, I probably will. Okay, so let's get some commentary. And I'm looking squarely at Bungie, Joe. And I'm thinking about what Bryn, Bryn just said, because we had a conversation a week ago in which you jumped into this space at the highs, at the highs, Bryn just suggests that at least ADM is overextended, in her mind, just taking some profits. How do you think about all this now? First of all, I, I added to my agriculture trade. I already had uh, Archer Daniels Midland, and I had John Deere uh, for quite some time. I'm not sure what the expiration month on Bryn's 85 calls were. So Bryn uh, might have made a very astute sell uh, in getting out of that position. In terms of last week, yes, you are 100% correct. I bought uh, Nutrien and, and Bungie adding to the agriculture trade at basically the highs. That was the high. They have pulled back significantly. I am well aware of that, and I am staying with the position because I still believe the agriculture trade is in the early innings of what will be a secular bull market. A lot of the reasoning behind why agriculture and other commodities are correcting so significantly relates to what we're seeing right now uh, with with Chi with the Chinese and, and basically being in a, a almost nearly full lockdown. I don't suspect that that lockdown is going to remain in place for many, many months. That's going to lift. And when that lifts, the demand is going to come back once again for commodities, in particular agriculture. I'm not getting out. OK, good stuff there. Bryn, back to you. You sold the momentum ETF, the MTUM. Tell us. Yeah, so I mean, we we actually owned that strategy for years, and I'm sure I'm sure Joe has some good commentary on this as well. The problem with MTUM, that as as we see it, is it rebalances in May and November. It really is just chasing its tail. And so in November, when it did the rebalance, it had 31 percent tech expo tech exposure. I knew it wasn't going to do well because the Fed was really starting to ramp up. So they're gonna have another rebalance in May. My guess is they're gonna sell most of that tech. And so it's just in this like vicious circle. And in our portfolios, we wanna have really explicit exposure right now. And something that's really just gonna go overweight, underweight tech. And I feel like they're, 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 selling, they're selling low and buying high in this strategy right now. And I think real, the, the real issue with MTUM is the twice a year rebalance. It's just not enough in this type of market. Okay, energy is still leading the way this year, but hitting correction levels now. So we'll find out how the committee is playing that sector from here. We'll do it next, down 5.5% today. Plus, CNBC celebrating Financial Literacy Month. And here's our own contributor, Joe Terranova, on how financial literacy positively impacts Wall Street and the markets. Financial literacy has a positive impact on Wall Street. It creates market efficiency, provides liquidity, and without question, it creates strong demand for investable assets, both traditional and non-traditional. It creates an awareness for leverage and risk, and an investor that better understands risk and leverage within the markets is a more successful investor. 
Energy, the worst performing sector today, down 5% and down more than 10% from its 52-week highs. It is still the top sector year to date. ExxonMobil gets a top idea naming today into earnings Bank of, American, uh, Bank of America. Uh, Bryn, obviously, uh, to you, down in Texas, yep. the home of yep. energy, at least one of them now. What do we think about this space? Are we worried now about this, what has been an incredibly great trade? Nope, not, not worried at all. I mean, I think this has a lot to do with, with, with China, which, you know, ultimately they can't keep China shut down for any extended period of time because there's also an election this year, an incredibly important election for Xi Jinping. Supply and demand re re remain incredibly, incredibly tight. And I think that with the Russia-Ukraine war, what's happening there, China will reopen, that this story is going to continue. And if you want to look at companies with high cash flow, higher distributions, great earnings, good valuation, you really have to turn to the energy names. And they're still incredibly undervalued relative to the rest of the market. So we'll see what happens this week. But I would definitely, this is a good area to look for buying on the dip. Oh, okay. Pharma Jim, how about that? Buy on the dip I, in energy. I, I agree with Bryn. Um, and what's going on in the energy sector today and in the past few days is very reminiscent to me of Thanksgiving of last year. Remember when Omicron was announced on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving? And that Friday after Thanksgiving, energy was down, what, $10 in a day? And it felt like, oh, my goodness, the storm cloud again. That was absolutely the right time to buy. The main point here is that what's going on in China is going to be temporary. I can't tell you how long it's going to last, but it's not going to last forever. And much like when Omicron was announced, this will turn out to be a good buying opportunity. My plays are Kinder Morgan, which is going to supply natural gas for export through its pipelines, and uh, Transocean, which has idle deep water drilling rigs that are going to be put to use at higher day rates because the structural imbalance between supply and demand is here for a long time. Okay, Joe, Pioneer Natural, you're also looking to buy on the dip. Energy's no Ben Simmons. They're going to show up to play. Once China reopens, <laughs> the supply to demand balance as the supply to demand imbalance, as Bryn described it, is 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 accurate. Uh, any any energy exposure that you could add to in the correction, you want to do that. Anastasia, how about energy right now? Do you take the profits? Do you buy the dip, or both? I'm taking a little bit of profits here on energy. And I mean, I'm sympathetic to uh, what we've heard in terms of China. Yes, I think eventually that will come back online. And, um, you know, I think that's right. The fundamentals of energy stocks are incredibly robust, great dividend yield. But here's the thing. Take a look at the weekly inventory reports and weekly demand for U.S. energy. And what you actually start to see is that we're now trending below the seasonal pre-COVID levels. There's been a slowdown for demand in terms of demand for U.S. energy. And if you drill down into why that's happening, we're starting to see gasoline demand slow down year over year basis. We're starting to see distillist demand is actually down quite meaningfully year over year. And that's the trucking sector. That's the slowdown that's playing out in freight. And then really the only sector within energy demand that's up year over year is jet fuel because everybody's flying. That's up 15 percent year over year. But overall energy demand in the U.S. is actually slowing. So my concern is that there might be this once again consumer let slow down and the energy sector is not immune to it. Look, energy is up 37% year to date. Um, you know, maybe it's due for a little bit of pullback, but I want to lock in a little bit of those gains there. Okay, crypto is getting crushed. Should you buy that drop or is the trade going lower from here? 
We'll discuss that next. Let's talk some crypto. Bitcoin hitting its lowest level since March, on pace now for its worst month since January, along with Ether. Brand new on Coinbase and the Grayscale Ethereum Trust. So are we just we're so tied to the direction of risk assets and that's really the only thing that matters or am I missing something? Nope, you're not missing anything. I mean, it's so tied. If you put up a chart of the Nasdaq versus versus GBTC or Bitcoin, they are spot on each other. And I think as long as we have, you know, Fed being responsible and raising rates and tighten liquidity, this will be a challenging year for crypto as well as Coinbase. But long term, I, I'm a big fan of both of them. OK, Anastasia, what about you? Yeah, I share the sentiment. The problem for Bitcoin right now is that inflation is sky high, but the Fed is trying to do something about it. That was not the case when Bitcoin rallied early uh, or late rather in 2021. So I think for now, blockchain equities, Bitcoin equities are trading like high multiple unprofitable stocks. And we know that's not the right environment for them at this very moment. So you're telling Bill, because you're saying if you say Bitcoin is a hedge against inflation, if the Fed is doing something about the inflation that theoretically would be good to hedge against, that could be negative for crypto and Bitcoin. Yeah, that's right. You know, last year, late last fall, Bitcoin really rallied strongly because the Fed was so clearly behind the curve and they were not addressing inflation. So if that's the case, you definitely want something that's going to be a, a hedge against fiat and a, and a hedge against the Fed that's behind the curve. But that's no longer the case because the Fed is talking about addressing inflation and real rates are rising. So you don't have that same argument right now. The, 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 really quickly, the argument for Bitcoin was also the fact that if you can't rely on central government, i.e. in Russia, uh, for example, and if you can't rely on central authority to allow you to have access to your money and transfer that, that's where you need this alternative decentralized system. I think that's played out to some extent, but that's a longer term uh, trajectory. And again, for now, it's do we have profitability? Do we have tangible use cases that are rising right this very moment? And the answer for now is not immediately. Okay. Quick break, then final trades. Overtime, 4 o'clock Eastern today. That man right there, Tom Lee. We need to speak with Tom Lee after what happened on Friday in the markets and what's continuing today. We'll get his views. Ed Yardeni will be with me as well. Shannon Sakosha. We have a lot going on and a huge week of earnings. So I'll see you at 4 o'clock, about three hours from now in the OT. Let's do some final trades. Bryn, you're first. Uh, let's go with XLE. Um, XLE is at 72. It may see 69 before you hit at 75, but not enough supply versus too much demand is the bigger risk. China will reopen. They have an election this year. I think it's a good entry point. Okay. Uh, Weiss, what do you think? Default positioning is cash, but if you have to buy something, B of A's come down quite a bit since a pretty good quarter. That's where I'd put it for the longer term as the curve steepens. Got more people coming out suggesting you could get uh, your so oversold. You could get a big bounce, whether it's Kalanovic or Ron and Sana. Stocks are wildly oversold short term. But where the rip your face off rallies, having said that, not out of the woods yet. I think that's a popular view uh, right now, Anastasia. Uh, it is, but that's not the only thing you can buy the dip in. I would actually recommend buying the dip in HYG, the high yield ETF. To start the year, the yield on that was four and a half, five percent It's close to 7% today, 6.7%. So higher than capital structure. So if you're worried about, about a slowdown, about a recession, I'd rather be higher in a capital structure and get paid a yield for it. Okay, good seeing you today. Farmer Jim. 
Uh, Cleveland Cliffs. It's a simple mm-hmm. cash flow story. That's all there is to it. Cash flow is king. You should have said touche, like before you before you did that. <laughs> I see you. I see you. All right, Joe T. A little bit of a pullback in Marriott. Use that as an opportunity. I'm long. Buy it here. All right. I appreciate you guys. I'll see you in the OT. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Picture this. It's Saturday morning and you're on your John Deere compact tractor. You're effortlessly breaking ground on your new landscaping project. Next, you're moving piles of rocks just by moving a lever. And now you're enjoying the warmth of the sun as you clear brush across your pasture. We could keep trying to put you in the moment, but to really understand everything you can do with a John Deere compact tractor, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.